morning once again. Welcome to the Friday morning worship gathering of Redeemer Church of Dubai. It's great to be with you again this Friday. My name is Dave Furman. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And I hope you received the bulletin on your way in this morning. If this is your first time uh, with us, you'll find in your bulletin a listing of all of our community groups that meet around the country. These are our small groups where we study the scriptures together, where we care for one another and pray for one another. If you are new, this is a great first step for you to get plugged into community here uh, at Redeemer. We'd also encourage you to fill out the visitor page on the back of your bulletin. You can hand that to me at the con- conclusion of our service or take it to our connections table on your way out where you can meet some of our church members. They'd love to talk to you more about who we are as a church. Also on your way out today, please uh, stop by our bookstall. We have a 10% off Christmas sale. We'd love to get good books into your hands this Christmas, whether it's for you or for a friend as a Christmas gift. Stop by afterwards. Well, I do want to make note of a couple Christmas uh, events coming up this week. We have our annual Christmas picnic today. This is where everybody in the church brings the pastor's favorite foods for me to eat. Um, 3 p.m. today, bring something savory, bring something sweet, bring games to play, bring your picnic gear, and we're going to enjoy time together at Zabiel Park uh, at 3 p.m. You'll find a map and more information in, uh, in your bulletin as well. And finally, this Tuesday night, we'll be here again in this ballroom on Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus. So uh, you probably received more invite cards this morning. We'll have more out at the Connections table on your way out. We'd love to get those in the hands of our friends and neighbors and co-workers. This is a real key service in the life of our church because this is often the first time uh, people step foot into a church service. It's often the first time that many will hear the good news of Jesus. And so please get the word out, invite them. We'll be here. We'll have the whole ballroom. We'll have plenty of seats. And let's pray that God would do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine this next week. As we approach God's word now, let us go to him in prayer. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pray that today we would come to a deeper understanding of your grace and how salvation can be found in Christ. Oh, would these verses stir within us a longing for you and a desire to live in such a way that magnifies your name and not ours. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In the 1990s, several newspapers highlighted the life of a wealthy businessman named Gordon Hall. They highlighted his 55,000 square foot mansion filled with 16 bedrooms, 25 toilets, 6 dining rooms, an ice skating rink, and if you had a bad hair day, even a hair salon. Unless anyone look at this house, this mansion, a 15 meter wide black sign on the roof says Gordon Hall Mansion. The owner himself proclaimed in one interview, I want people to know who lives there. At the time, he was 32 years old. He was worth over $100 million. And his goal was to be a billionaire by the time he turned 38. His life motto is the biggest and the best. That's what I'm here to do. Now, Gordon Hall is convinced that he could live to 120 years old, and he assumes what he believes to be his just heavenly reward, that he will change the world, and that Gordon Hall will become a god. He said this in one interview, 
We have always existed as intelligences, as spirits. We are down here to gain a body. As man is now, God once was. As God is now, man can become. If you believe it, then your genetic makeup is to be a God, and I believe it. That is why I believe I can do anything. My genetic makeup is to be a God. My God in heaven creates worlds and universes. I believe I can do anything, too. Now, Gordon Hall really does have millions of dollars. That's the truth. But at the same time, reality has escaped him, hasn't it? Gordon really believes that he can be a God. That he can be God. Now, we hear this man's life, we hear his words, and we think, well, this is outrageous. This is lunacy. This is crazy. How can anyone think they could become God? But I'm wondering if his words actually ring a bit of truth in our ears this morning. Maybe this real life story hits closer to home than we'd like to admit. Now perhaps you don't own a mansion with your name on it. Maybe you don't own much of anything at all. And perhaps you've never verbalized a desire to be God. But what do our actions say about this? Does the way we live, does the way we act, does the way we speak actually, actually look more like Gordon Hall than we'd like to admit? Well, this morning we'll be focusing on a historical account of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. There's much more in the surrounding verses. Chapter 10 continues the genealogy that we've seen in chapter 5. But for our purposes this morning, we're going to narrow into these nine verses. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. And the judgment at the Tower of Babel. Now you might be thinking, well, these past couple of weeks haven't exactly been feel-good Christmas sermons. You know, where is all the Christmas cheer, Pastor Scrooge? Give us some holly jolly for the holidays. Where's all the fluffy stuff? Well, here's what I hope you see today. Right, we saw the judgment of the flood last week. Here's what I hope you see today as we look at the Tower of Babel. My hope and prayer is that this historical account, in it, you will see that it has everything to do with Christmas. I think you'll see that as we get towards the end. Well, in our text today, we'll see three things about building this tower. And I'll just I'll name them one as, as we go. So let me just give you the first one. And the first thing we see in this account is our desire to make a name for ourselves. It's the first thing we see in the passage. It's the first thing we'll see about ourselves is our desire to make a name for ourselves. Look at verses 3 and 4. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So the people set out to build themselves a city and a tower. They don't want to scatter as God commanded, but they want to do just the opposite. They want to gather. Now God's intention has always been for his people to scatter. To scatter so that the earth would be filled with his people singing his praises and telling of his glories everywhere. God couldn't be any more clear in Genesis 1. Be fruitful in number, multiply, increase, fill the earth, scatter. 
And then in Genesis 9, after the flood, be fruitful, multiply, increase in number, fill the earth, scatter. Now God had told them to scatter, but they wouldn't. Why? Well, it's clear in our text. They want to build a city and a tower that will make themselves a name. Key to verse 4 is the repetition of the word ourselves. We're going to build ourselves a city. We're going to make ourselves a name. Now, instead of scattering and planting cities across the face of the earth, they stay in this one city and they build this enormous tower. Now, this tower was actually something called a ziggurat. It wasn't like our modern-day skyscrapers that we see here in Dubai. It was more like a pyramid, except that it didn't have anything inside of it. Its structure was framed in a mud brick, and its core was packed with dirt. It was built to support a stairway that would get you to the top of the, the tower of the building. Now, these towers would be in the center of virtually every city, but it wasn't just an office tower like we see in Dubai. It wasn't just a place of business. It was actually more like a temple. It was a man-made mountain that would get you towards heaven. And that was the whole idea. The whole idea was to connect you, the person, with the divine. You would offer sacrifices at the bottom, then you'd climb that ladder towards the top, hoping that your God, hoping that God would come down to meet you. It was kind of a halfway point, a compromise. Now, their sin wasn't in simply building a building or a tower. There's nothing inherently wrong with building skyscrapers or populating various places. No, the problem was that they were disobeying God's commands and that they were trying to get to God on their own. What they were really doing is trying to be God. They set their own rules, their own parameters. They wanted to make a name for themselves. So what does it mean to go and make a name for yourself? Well, it means that I want to know that I'm valuable. That I'm not just a nameless blip on the radar screen of human history. That I want to know that I'm someone special. That I'm not just another number. I don't want to be forgotten, even, even for an hour. Now, this is how we feel when we go into any telecommunications office or immigration office here in our city. You get a number. And then you sit down with dozens or even hundreds of other people holding on to that number. That's your identity. Looking at those screens, hoping that at some point in the next several hours, your number will flash across the screen and you can get some help. Well, so it goes in real life. Sometimes it can feel like we're just another number. With 7 billion people around the world, with millions in Dubai and in Sharjah, it can feel like we're just, just a number. Just one number among millions of other numbers. You know, you go to your workplace, you work your shift, you come back home, you eat something, you go to sleep, and you wake up the next day and you just kind of hit that repeat button and do it all over again. Or maybe you're at home with, with the kids and you wake up, you feed them, you play with them, you watch them, you feed them again, you discipline them, you clean them, you change their nappies, you put them to bed, and then you go to sleep. And in the morning when you wake up, you hit your repeat button again. If you haven't been doing it all night long already. Or maybe you're a student, or maybe you're out of work now. Well, either way, it's easy to feel like we're just another number. Everything seems so mundane. No one really recognizes who we are. No one knows 
how gifted we are and how amazing we really are. And we start to ask ourselves, am I really making a difference in the world? Is my life actually worth anything? Does anyone even know who I am? Does anyone care about me? Or am I just a nameless wanderer in a great big machine called life? Well, friends, can you resonate with this? Maybe you came to Dubai in pursuit of a career or some acclaim or power or a name. And you're sitting here today no closer to your dreams than when, than when you first stepped foot on the sand of the Arabian Peninsula. And we can be so discouraged in this life. We, we yearn to be known. We love being known. This is why it's so important to us and when it means so much to us when someone actually remembers our name. Right? When someone important remembers our name, something inside of us just kind of smiles. We want a name that people know. And so the people in Babel, they're overwhelmed with this desire to make a name for themselves. So they disregard God's instructions to scatter and to fill the earth. And they gather together. They stay together. And so what does God think about this? Well, look at verses 5 and 6. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now these verses are just dripping with irony. From the human perspective, this was a great tower. This was a great city. It was majestic. The people are probably looking at each other and saying, look at what we've done. Look at how incredible this tower is. Look at the magnificence that we have accomplished. But from God's perspective, not so much. He's thinking now, now where is that tower? Where is it? I'm kind of looking for, oh yeah, I see, see a little, little stick down there. I guess that's it. God did not simply notice the city or come to the city, whereas the people wanted to build something to actually reach the heavens. We're told that God had to come all the way down from the heavens just to see this tower. From God's point of view, this city, this majestic city, this majestic tower was just a little dot, just a little speck, just a little stick. And it's always like this, right? Whether you're standing at the base of the pyramids in Egypt or standing at the base of the skyline in Hong Kong. For us, it looks magnificent, but even taking a plane flight just over the horizon, looking down, these buildings, these pyramids look like a child's plaything, like a little toy that you buy for them for Christmas. Now, the greatest things we can do on earth are nothing compared to the immensity of the universe, not to mention the universe's creator. And yet we're tempted to say in this life, hey, everybody, look at my big house, look at my nice car, look at my high IQ, look at all my books, look at my computer, my muscles, my nose job, look at my cooking skills, my paycheck, my corner office, my famous friends, my shoe collection. Look at these things that I've accomplished. Look at these things that I've done. Oh, friend, if that's you today, if you've done that, God has to come down to look at all this stuff. And according to him, it's just a speck. It's just a dot. It's just a stick. 
In God's eyes, the most magnificent accomplishments seem very small in his eyes. But sometimes this desire to not just be another number in a large room full of numbers inspires us to all kinds of shameless self-promotion. Well, how do we make a name for ourselves today? I'm assuming that most of you aren't building skyscrapers, maybe a couple of you, but most of us aren't building skyscrapers. Most of us aren't building entire cities. Well, I think it can manifest itself in a number of ways. Let me give you seven ways that we can make ourselves a name. Seven areas. First, we overwork. We overwork. We work every minute of every day to get that promotion to be recognized by our bosses. If we can just get our supervisor to give us a word of encouragement and see how wonderful we are, then we'll be fulfilled. Then we'll be uplifted. And so we sacrifice other responsibilities given to us. We might sacrifice our our parenting and the shepherding of our kids. And so we work extra hours all in the name of trying to provide for our family and to give them what we never had. But in reality, we're straining against the threat of insignificance in order to build up our own name. Well, how about a second thing? We gossip. We gossip. Now, this is not one that maybe you thought of uh, here. But now, let me ask you this. What is at the heart of gossip? Why do we do it? Well, think about it. We do it to boost our name. At best, we want people to be in awe that we have inside information. But at worst, and is often the case, we try to boost our own name by speaking poorly about others. We want the person we're with to see how much better we are than that other person. We gossip good news so people can see how in the know we are. And we gossip bad news so that people would see how much better off we are. Now, I read an article this week about how Facebook, Twitter, email, and other social media are safe places to say those things that we often think, but rarely feel comfortable saying to someone face-to-face. See, when it's face-to-face, we're forced to watch what it does to the other person. So when we we call someone fat, for instance, or, or obese, we call someone fat, when we tell them they're fat to their face, we have to watch their reaction and and how they're hurt by that. But when we can say it online or, or when we gossip it to someone else, we don't have to face their reaction. The only person we're concerned about in that moment is ourselves. How it makes you feel. And it feels so, so good because gossip feels good. Because you and I want to feel good about ourselves. Let me give you a third thing. Third way we try to make a name for ourselves is that we try to try and impress our families. Try to impress our families. We're ruled by a desire to make a name for ourselves within our own family. This is often quite subtle. We send more and more money back home, maybe even more than they need, in order that our parents would praise our name. We try to purchase the respect. Or we choose a specific career that we think will impress our parents. Maybe you have a sibling rivalry with your brother or with your sister, and you just want to be your parents' favorite child. Let me give you a fourth thing. That we bedazzle ourselves with lifestyle accessories. Now, do you remember that gadget from the 80s? Are your jeans boring? Bedazzle them with all these cheap plastic rhinestones 
Anybody remember that craze? I don't know if it was over here in, in Dubai or not. Maybe you don't have that temptation to add color and add fake rhinestones to your jeans. Well, what about other things? What about other ways you try to impress people when you get that car or that house or that shirt or that necklace that you probably can't afford and certainly shouldn't buy, but you want people to praise you for how nice your things are? And so you spend money that we don't really have. We get into debt in order to keep up appearances so that we're not poor or boring in people's eyes, but that we're successful and special. Well, let, me give us, let me give us a fifth thing. We work hard to keep our outward appearance sharp. Another way we try to earn a name for ourselves, keep our outward appearance sharp. Maybe you spend extra money on that haircut or spend excessive time in front of the mirror. Maybe you spend all your free time in the gym so people will be impressed by your figure or your muscles. And so you, spend up, you end up spending more time keeping up your outward appearance so that people will notice you than you spend time with God working on your inward appearance. Let me give you a sixth thing. We get addicted to online social media. Get addicted to online social media. We get addicted to Facebook to try to get a name, don't we? We're always checking how many people liked our status update or made a comment about us. We want to make sure, even from the privacy of our homes, that people know who we are. And so we select the right picture to share, make the right comment, edit everything to our approval and display that image that we want people to see. Now, just yesterday, I was looking online and I read a newspaper article about a woman who tumbled into the bay in Melbourne, Australia. Now, she walked right off St. Kilda's pier right into the water. Now, in this report, the police uh, were alerted and they came with a speedboat and 20 minutes later rescued her. She didn't know how to swim, so it was kind of a crazy situation, but she was able to float on her back and with one arm kind of, kind of hang on to the pier. The interesting thing is, as the police took her out of the boat and took her onto the pier, she still had her phone clenched in her left hand. She quickly apologized to the officer and said, I was checking my Facebook page on my phone when I just walked off the pier and fell into the bay. The police officer said, people should be more, people should be more careful when using social media around water. Yeah, I would say so, Captain Obvious. Now, be careful with Facebook when you're around water. Check. Now, friends, don't be ruled by trying to build a name on the internet that it consumes your life. Because it could literally kill you if you're near water. Let me give you a seventh thing. This one's specifically convicting to me. You serve people in ministry sacrificially. A way to build a name for yourself. You serve people in ministry sacrificially. Now, this sounds like a good thing, right? It's good to serve people. It's good to serve the church with your time and with your treasure and with your talents. It's good to give your life away to God and to the church. So this this might seem odd to add this to the list. But I think it's true. Sometimes we take even good things and use them for our own sinful pursuits. It could be motivated in ministry, not to serve God, but like everything else, to build a name for ourselves. I'm just as prone as a pastor to a businessman or a mom or a manager in trying to earn the praise of others. 
I'm just as prone to preach a sermon so that others will think I'm great or that I've done a good job. Maybe you're just as prone to serve the church so that others will notice you. You might take on a a ministry to get your name praised. Well, friends, I hope in this short list that you see that there are endless ways that we can strive to get earthly praise. There are a multitude of ways for us to make a name for ourselves. We're driven by this fear of anonymity, and it drives us to seek recognition. And all of us at times are guilty of sinfully searching for a name. Now Jesus cautions us and says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he says these words. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now we need to ask ourselves this question. Do I really want my reward now? Do I really want the praise of men to be my treasure? Or do you want to look forward to the day when Jesus says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. See, God sees what the people of Babel have done and concludes that nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And so he takes action. He takes action. That brings us to the second point in our passage, if you're, if you're taking notes. We've seen that we want to build a name for ourselves. The second thing we see here is that God's grace, that in God's grace, he saves us from ourselves. God's grace saves us from ourselves. Verses 7 and 8. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. And we see this Trinitarian language again. God says, if we don't do something, they will forever try without limit and boundaries to reach heaven. And so God comes and he confuses their language so that they won't understand each other. Now, do you see in reading this passage that even in God's judgment, he's gracious? This is a gracious act. Now, God doesn't have to intervene. He could just let them run to their destruction. But he acts and saves them from themselves. If he doesn't, nothing's going to stop them from continually usurping the rule of God. The people built the city so they didn't have to scatter But the passage tells us that in judgment, in all irony, what the people wanted to prohibit actually happened. The people were scattered. Their language was confused, and they were scattered to the ends of the earth. You know, it's interesting that the term Babel means the gate of God. It expressed their belief that it was a gateway to God. But but God had a different viewpoint on the name of the city, didn't he? Since God dispersed them, it clearly wasn't the gate of God. Well, what does it mean? Well, we see Moses' strikingly sarcastic answer in verse 9. Therefore, its name was called Babel, 
because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now we see Moses is saying that it's not called Babel because it's the gate of the gods, but because confusion took place there. Now the greatest city in all of primeval history became a joke. God in his grace kept them from themselves. He interrupted their collective apostasy, scattered them. He confused their language. He made a babel of their language at the city of Babel. Now in all irony, he judges them for their sin of pride. Oh friends, God is not a lenient landlord who turns a blind eye to sins. Don't mistake God's patience with his indifference. God's patience is meant to bring us to repentance. When pride, people wanted to get to God on their own. They wanted to be God. The great theologian Jonathan Edwards once said, If the throne of God was within your reach and you knew it, it would not be safe one hour. A friend, if you knew that you could be God and that it was within your grasp, You would need to be stopped. You would need to be protected from becoming divine. Now this pride that we all carry, it's a subtle sin, isn't it? It's so subtle that most of us would claim that we don't struggle with it. But that's the very nature of pride, isn't it? It's the thing that we don't struggle with it, while all along we do. It tricks you. It's deceptive. If each of us had the chance to write a book, we'd all be the author of a book called Humility and How I Achieved It. If you didn't get that, just think about it. Later on today, it'll come to you in the afternoon at the picnic. Well, even more so, pride is a socially acceptable sin. We see pride and we just call it ambition. Or we say, well, that man or that woman, they're an amazing leader. They're really great. They're ambitious. They're so powerful. They have amazing business acumen and abilities. Now, friends, let us pray together that as a church, as a church body here at Redeemer, that we would be marked by humility. That as a church, we would be marked by holiness, a holiness that says that God is big and that we are small. Friends, this is important because the scriptures say that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So let us fight pride together because in reality, it's the essence and the root of all sin. Because in our pride, we are in a battle with God for supremacy. It's saying, God, I know better than you. I know you've made these these rules. I know you've put together your word, but I know better than you. That's what those folks were doing at the Tower of Babel. They're saying, no, we know better, God, than your mandate to scatter. No, we know better than you. We're going to gather gather right here. We're going to build this tower, build this city. We're going to stay here, and we're just we're just going to reject what you have to say. Oh, friends, this is what pride is. It's contending with God for supremacy. It's contending with God for his throne. Well, friend, are there areas in your life where you're not submitting to God's rule because you think you know better? Are there areas in your life where where you're contending with God for what's right? Maybe it's a shady business deal or 
an inappropriate romantic relationship. Maybe you're a student and it's the temptation to cheat on an exam. Know this, that God's patience with you is not a sign of his approval, but of his grace. Friend, repent and align your life under his loving rule and reign. Because I can guarantee this, that you and I don't know better than God. So let us not go out and do things that he's clearly spoken up against. No, friends, God comes down in grace and he scatters the people on the face of the earth. This judgment, this this act of Punishment was actually an act of grace and kindness of God to save them from a worse fate. But God goes even further than this. And this is the third point in our text this morning. God's grace in giving us a name. So we have this search for a name. We go out in the world trying to find ourselves a name. And yet here we'll see God's grace in giving us a name. It's the third point. See, we try so hard to do it, but in reality... God is the one, the only one who can give us a name. See, building the Tower of Babel into the heavens, it was a futile attempt. No matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try, no matter what gifts we possess, no matter if we gather the entire world together, united in the same language and unity of purpose, we can't make a name for ourselves. We can't make a name that'll truly matter. Now, the Bible says all of us have tried to do this, and all of us have failed. All of us have tried to earn acceptance from God, but can't on our own. We've tried to find another path to heaven. And so we have thousands of religions around the world. Each one really the same story of Babel, but tweaked as different versions of the same thing. You know, the religions of the world say, well, we're just traveling up the same mountain. We're just on a different road, on a different side of the mountain, but we're all really going up to the same mountain peak, to the same mountain top. And there's the same God up there, but we call him by different names. We have different backgrounds. We worship in different places. We do it in different ways. Some of us, some of us walk up. Some of us run up. Some of us climb. Some of us climb together, some by ourselves. And we're doing it differently, but ultimately, in the end, we'll get to the top. If we work hard enough, if we keep climbing, if we don't stop, if we work hard, eventually we'll be up there at the top with all the others who worked hard enough to make it to the mountain peak. But friends, all roads don't lead to heaven. The story of Babel tells us that no matter how hard we try to get to God, we can't. No matter how hard we work to get to that mountain peak, eventually we're going to fail. No, we needed God to come down to us. It's in the Tower of Babel account... God came down to the people. And friends, all this points to another time that God came down. That's the story of Christmas. It's that 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh, Jesus came down and was born as a baby in a little manger in an insignificant town called Bethlehem. Our sin had separated us from a holy and a righteous God. There's no way to get back to him. And the Bible says that the judgment is death is eternal death. But God did not leave us in that death. He came down to us. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died a sacrificial death on our behalf. And do you remember, if you've read through the New Testament, you remember where he was crucified? 
not in the great city of Jerusalem, but Hebrews 13 tells us that it was outside of the city gate, that it was next to the city dump. Now Jesus comes to the city of God, Jerusalem, but is killed outside the gate. He was kicked out of the city. He lost the city and was killed outside of it so that you and I could become citizens of a greater city yet to come. Friends, if you don't follow Christ, Mark 1 is clear that you must repent of your sin and believe in Christ to save you. Acknowledge that you've been building up a tower of Babel with your life and you've realized that it is a futile attempt and that you need God to come down to you to save you. That your name won't save you, it never could. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Oh friend, believe in Christ for salvation. Believe in Christ even today and he will save you even as you sit in this ballroom. You need to realize that the only person's opinion that counts is Jesus. The only person's city that really matters is Christ's. It's the only citizenship worth anything. But wouldn't it be great to be known by the one who truly has the power? Now, I love meeting rulers. I love meeting famous people. It feels great to be known by them. But it's nothing compared to being known by God. Because if we're known by God, then the most amazing thing happens. And I want to show you this. If you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 22. We want to end with this because this is so exciting. It's astounding. It's incredible. Turn to the final book of your Bible, Revelation, to chapter 22. I want you to see this for yourselves. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screens. I want you to see that there's another city coming. And I want you to see what this city is going to be like, what Christ is going to do for us who believe in him. Let me just read starting in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Well, friends, I could go on and on and read about this incredible city. It's a great picture of the city that is yet to come. But friend, I want you to know, if you're a follower of Christ, if you follow Jesus, if you've given your life to him, he will give you his name. Friends, if you follow Christ, you're freed from trying to make a name for yourself. Friend, you've already got one. He's going to give it to you freely. It's going to be stamped on your forehead. So friends, stop laying brick after brick after brick trying to earn a name for yourself. And friend, if you're not here a follower of Christ, stop laying a brick after a brick after a brick trying to get to God because you can't. Friend, all you have to do is to receive his name from where you are today. And he will 
freely give it to you. It's the name of the Almighty, the King and Creator and Lord and Hero and Sovereign and Savior and Redeemer and Healer. It's the name of the one filled with mercy and grace and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the rightful ruler of the universe. He died to pay the penalty for our sins, and he rose from the dead, proving that he was indeed God, that this baby who was born in a little manger was God in the flesh. This God, this true God, will give you his name. Oh, friends, a city is coming, one that won't have a high tower in the center in which men and women ascend in pride. Now in the center of the city there will be a throne, and on that throne there will be a king. And that king is the Lord Jesus. He, he will be the downtown plaza in this holy city. He will be the center. He will be the tower. Well, like the people of Babel, you and I long for a name. And this longing isn't a bad thing. All of us long for it, but where can we find it? We can't build it. We can only receive it. So the invitation to you today is to join that city. It's to gain a new citizenship. You gain it by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in Christ. If you do, you'll never be scattered from him and he will be your better and stronger tower. Now friends, the way you change the world is not to live like Gordon Hall by building monuments to your own glory and name, by putting your name on the top of your house or in front of all your accomplishments. Now, the way you change the world is by acknowledging your inability and receiving the name of Jesus. Only in him and by him and through him can you do anything worthwhile in this life. Friends, this Christmas, understand that God has come down to you. That he saw what you were doing and he came down to save us from ourselves. In the words of Charles Wesley, let us proclaim, Joyful all you nations rise, join the triumph of, of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Our God has come down to us. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that we would cease from trying to make a name for ourselves. We pray that we would trust in you and rely upon you to be our security and our significance. Father, help us as a church to live in such a way that gives you all the praise, that gives you all the honor, that gives you all the glory. Father, we pray this in the most glorious name of Christ. Amen.